0: This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by shapeshift.io. With no account or sign up required, it's the easiest way to buy and sell Litecoin, Dogecoin, Darkcoin, and other leading cryptocurrencies. Go to shapeshift.io to instantly convert altcoins and to discover the future of cryptocurrency exchanges. Hello, welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution.
1: My name is Sébastien Couture. And my name is Brian Fabian Crane. We're here today with uh, Garak Heilman. Uh, Garrett Heilman may be known to a lot of people or, or sort of known because of his state of Bitcoin report. So CoinDesk releases his report every uh, three months, every quarter. And uh, we've actually done a show before on that, just kind of discussing the report and discussing where we are, sort of in the evolution of Bitcoin. And uh, today we have him on himself. So uh, uh, thanks for joining us today, Garrick. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And 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 uh, also thanks for uh, this wonderful report you're writing. I think it's always uh, it's a it gives one a very good sort of comprehensive overview of. Where we are at and where Bitcoin is at.
2: Well, it's been uh, it's been well received, and and we really appreciate the community support of the state of Bitcoin reports and the feedback we've received since we first launched these uh, a year ago. And uh, you know, we try to improve them each quarter. And uh, uh, please, if you have suggestions on how we can make them better, uh, uh, we'd love to hear from you.
0: I I also think that it's it's a good way to sort of gauge the evolution of Bitcoin. So not only is it a good opportunity to you know, see where we are in the in. In the evolution of Bitcoin, but you know, looking from month from report to report, uh, it allows you to sort of track a timeline of where Bitcoin's
2: at. Absolutely, we're we're trying to uh, to, to benchmark where Bitcoin stands. You know, at, at you know you know predefined junctions in time, and and so uh, taking a quarterly uh, view of kind of where Bitcoin it is and where it's come, and try to track how it's how it's performing uh, is very much a, a big part of the objective with the state of Bitcoin reports.
0: So before we get started, uh, I just wanted to take a, a second to, uh, well, to uh, talk about what's been happening recently in Paris. Uh, everybody's probably aware now of the uh, terrorist attacks on Charlie Hebdo and recently in Paris. And uh, so, you know, it's really horrible what's happened. Of course, I'm in France, so we've been sort of uh, watching the news for the last two days. And uh, it seems that it's over now. Uh, but unfortunately, there are uh, 16 uh, innocent people that have died and uh, among those journalists and people fighting for freedom and uh, of expression and uh, liberty of the press so uh, our thoughts are with them and so we thought that it would be appropriate to uh, to uh, add to talk about this just briefly and to add the user um, speciality uh, banner to our uh, to our screens here so
1: yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a horrible, a horrible thing that happened, and uh, definitely uh, one thing I'm worrying about a lot is the sort of, at least in my view, increased risk we are seeing. You know, that with all this wonderful technologies happening, and I think Bitcoin is is very much a part of it. You know, that brings so much progress, but at the same time, um, and maybe this is not so much related to that because it was a technologically uh, primitive thing, right? Some guys with guns. But it just seems like risks are really increasing in my view, at least. And um, I think we will have a lot of very eventful years and decades ahead. And Bitcoin will play a role in this. And I'm sure there will be many other things of less pleasant nature that will play a role in this as well. Um, And speaking of less pleasant things, uh, one thing that has been happening in the last days is the, the Bitstamp hack. Uh, I personally haven't looked into this in great detail, uh, but Garrick has a a good bit of more insight into this because I think he has spent some time uh, digging a bit deeper in this story. Can you just briefly share with us what you've learned well, I, I don't have
2: uh, you know too many more details than, than what's out there, and and people can go to CoinDesk uh, you know's website right now and see the the latest piece of analysis on um, the uh, the theft wallet that was used to uh, to actually uh, move bitcoins from the Bitstamp hot wallet into uh, you know the, the an account controlled by the the hacker um, and how close to almost two million dollars in additional bitcoins were almost stolen. Um, but obviously this is coming at a you know uh you know coming up on the one year anniversary of the, the Mt. Gox uh meltdown, for lack of a better word. Um this obviously has a lot of people concerned. It very much reminds people that, you know, Bitcoin is as you know, Gavin Andreessen and others talk about is still, you know, a, a beta technology. There's still um you know, things that, you know, need to be sorted out. Um and uh you know it's an unfortunate event for for people who have been, you know, cheering on Bitcoin and, and hoping it's going to move past I think some of the Mt. Gox types things that have happened in the past. Um, but hopefully we'll have some more answers about what really took place. There are some questions that I have um, about the timing um, aspects of the of the case. Um, you know, we don't know, um, you know, too much about what's happened with the Bitcoins that have been stolen, um, What, who the hacker is, obviously, uh, what other things may have taken place in conjunction with the hack. But um, it has been reported that, you know, the, the hack started on the 4th uh, of January. Um, but if you look at the Coindesk uh, Bitcoin price index, um, in the very early hours on the 3rd, a day before the hack supposedly began, um, we, we start to see a pretty steady, heavy sell-off beginning. And um, it's, uh, it's interesting to, uh, to kind of see how that the price uh, started declining, you know, a day possibly in advance of the hack. You know, one theory that's been suggested is the hacker... Um, you know, may have been selling Bitcoins uh, or the Bitcoins that were stolen, uh, you know, with knowledge that the hack was going to take place or um, after the hack occurred. There's, um, you know, some, some information in the story that I mentioned. On insider trading. Possibly some insider trading. I mean, if you knew there was going to be a large breach of Bitstamp, maybe you would want to get out in front of that, front run that breach and, and start shorting, uh, you know, Bitcoin uh, in advance Uh, You know, we don't know what kind of resources the hacker may have. Maybe they had a bunch of Bitcoins already and and dumped those uh, in anticipation of being able to steal a large sum of Bitstamp's Bitcoins. A lot of interesting kind of possibilities for those who enjoy thinking like a James Bond villain um, and want to think what they would do as a a potential hacker uh, in a case like this. But, uh, you know, the Bitcoins are supposedly being run through mixers. Um, You know, it's probably going to be a while, like with Mt. Gox, before we know what really happened. And unfortunately, you know, I I hope one thing I hope for the Bitcoin ecosystem, I think there's a lesson here. Um, You know, we see a lot of times large corporations after a hack has taken place kind of really circling the wagons, uh, you know, not talking about the hack for many months. Sometimes eBay, for example, um, you know, it was many months after they were hacked uh, before we found out the details around that. And I, I think Bitcoin really could, you know, set an example, I think, for consumers, for people. Um, who are using the system by trying to do one better and, and be more open, more transparent, which is part of the Bitcoin eco, uh, ethos, I think, uh, and, and talking more openly about what's taking place and, and quickly rather than um, trying to make things look less bad or, or delaying announcements. So hopefully, hopefully Bitstamp soon will come out with you know, a full report on what, what's taking place.
1: I think they may have to, no, because it, it, it seems to me, uh, and I don't follow the Bitcoin exchange space very closely, but if you sort of looked at the trading volumes, you know, like a year ago, uh, or when the Mt. Gox declined, Bitstamp was the leader, no? And, and this isn't the case anymore right now. Other exchanges have much bigger volume. Uh, and so it seems to me uh, they have been sort of under pressure. And now with that, uh, that looks like a, quite an existential threat to me.
2: Right. Well, Bitstamp I mean definitely kind of filled the gap I think that Mt. Gox, uh, Mt. Gox's decline and then ultimate failure kind of created but as you mentioned, you know Bitfinex uh, another exchange based in Asia has been um, you know gaining on on Bitstamp for a while. I think I think you know we also need to keep some perspective here with with this case of, of Bitstamp. It isn't uh Mt. Gox 2.0. Mt. Gox was a much bigger disaster. Um It sounds like Bitstamp has done a much better job of securing um, the vast majority of their bitcoins in cold storage. And so that, you know, as bad as this may seem, this represents progress. The price hasn't reacted, uh, you know, anywhere uh, close to how it reacted uh, after Mt. Gox. So I think, uh, you know, the ecosystem is kind of taking this event in stride and realizing, you know, this is bad, but it's not nearly as bad as Mt. Gox. And in some ways we could think of this as progress
1: that's uh that's (laughs) definitely a a good way of it (laughs) in terms of taking this news
2: (laughs) that's that's the uh i'm i'm out in california right now so that's the california view on the
1: bitstorm hack
2: (laughs) where where it's always sunny
1: (laughs) sort of leading into our discussion of the CoinDesk report uh, and and i think that there was a quote on the, on the current article and, and I, I really agree with that assessment. I think actually also the last time you called it uh, the quiet building phase and, and I was like, yeah, that's that very accurate. I think what was sort of going on was very quiet. And uh, I think this this time uh, there's this phrase, the tail of two Bitcoins. So where on the one hand you have the sort of price which just keeps on dropping and dropping and dropping. And then at the other hand, we have a lot of VC activity, a lot of startup growth. Where things look pretty rosy, uh, so I, I thought this was a very nice, uh, a very nice and succinct uh, characterization of of where we're at.
0: And it's sort of how we've been characterizing it the, this this last little while too, right? We we've seen this growth, this growth of startups, this growth in investment, this growth in, uh, I mean, what seems like anticipation for something to come, and but the price just goes stagnating and, and falling um so w- w- we've been very curious about you know why why that might be and you know what, what would like to get your impressions on uh, what is uh what is the what are the factors behind that
2: well well first let me say I, i'm glad to hear the uh the the reference to dickens uh is is appreciated i am sure many have read the book uh, tale of two cities uh, you know CoinDesk based in london we've got sebastian here in in paris uh uh, you know it's it's uh, but it seemed like a, a fitting metaphor also for for where coindesk is at I mean I'm not the only person who's picked up on this theme of two bitcoins or kind of this divergence we're, we're seeing between say eco ecosystem progress and, and price uh, you know my, my friend Gil Luria at wedbush securities uh, recently touched on this as well in his report um, a lot of people um, you know still equate kind of bitcoins progress with how the price is doing so I think there is a a perceptional challenge that Bitcoin with a capital B kind of faces in terms of getting people to see um, Bitcoin's progress beyond, say, the price is going up and up. I mean, obviously, one of the things that put Bitcoin on uh, the mainstream media's radar screen was, you know, the incredible price action uh, we saw, you know, after the, uh, the Cyprus deposit uh, tax or after, uh, you know, Ben Bernanke's comments uh, uh, that it may hold promise uh, a little over a year ago. Um, And the action in China. And so I think the media got got, you know, very much wrapped up in kind of associating the health of Bitcoin with uh, with the price. Um, But especially with the way Bitcoin is being used today, uh, it may, in my opinion, continue to be used more for smaller transactions, uh, rather than say large uh, institutions, um, moving, you know, funds through Bitcoin. Um, The price doesn't necessarily have to increase for, say, Bitcoin to, to be healthy as an ecosystem to really grow. If it's no. primarily being used, uh, well, at least, at least in the uh, in the short run, because if it's primarily being used for, say, remittances, international remittances that are in the few hundreds of dollars uh, you know, per transaction, um, you don't need a, a massive market cap to, to be able to kind of absorb those kinds of flows. Um, now, if... Yeah. If, 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 if bigger institutions, though, want to get into the game, want to start sending tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, through Bitcoin, then, then you know, arguably the, the market cap will need to grow to really kind of to be able to absorb those kinds of flows without, you know, increasing the volatility. Um, but, but I think it is, it is important for, I think, uh, Bitcoin, again, capital B, Bitcoin, the, the community to kind of start to talk about how the price can decouple in some ways from the progress uh, that's that's being made with the ecosystem, with tools and, you know, merchant adoption and these these things.
1: I, I want to come back to this point uh, towards the end and talk a little bit about the sort of, you know, exactly, exactly that point you're making, you know, to what extent this can be decoupled and to what extent we can have maybe Bitcoin uh, succeed in a sort of, a larger sense, but Bitcoin, uh, the currency not doing so well. Um, but uh, let's try to um, just briefly touch on some of the different areas. So if you talk, I think the first part is about VC and the uh, startup activity. Uh, can you tell us how that has developed over the last, uh, in the last quarter and uh, especially relative to uh, before that? Right. Well, uh, so, so,
2: one of the um, comparisons we've made in the state of Bitcoin reports that's gotten a lot of attention is uh, this comparison we we did with uh, um, Bitcoin venture capital investment in twenty fourteen and 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 VC investment in the early internet. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the earliest year we have data for is nineteen ninety five. Um, probably, people remember Mark Andreessen's um, point about a year ago he made in the New York Times article about how he saw the uh, the state of kind of Bitcoin is being very similar to where the internet was in 1993, um, so a couple years before uh, you know the 1995 period that we have internet VC data for. But um, one of the things we we did is we looked at Just, how much. By
0: the way, is this data adjusted for inflation?
2: This data is not adjusted for inflation, and, and this question has come up. So let me actually comment on this. So if you do adjust for inflation, um, the the 1995 figure would exceed. Uh, you know, the 2014 figure for Bitcoin, which was 334, if you round up $335 million invested uh, in, in Bitcoin startups in 2014, compared to unadjusted $250 million invested in early stage uh, 1995 internet companies. So, so why, why don't we show that with an inflation adjustment? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is, um, you could make if you start going down this path and making adjustments, you'd want to start making adjustments for other things. Um, So, for example, uh, you know, the cost of launching a startup has actually changed quite a bit between 1995 and today. It's actually quite a bit less expensive to launch a new startup uh, than it was back then. How would we adjust uh, these figures for that? Um, The other thing I mentioned, already mentioned, was the fact that we don't have 1993 data. Um, You know, what was the figure in 1993? We don't know. Probably less than what it was in 1995. So... um, Again, we didn't want to try to turn this into you know uh, uh, an exercise which where we went too far down a rabbit's hole where we'd raised too many questions and concerns about methodology. we have been very kind of upfront that this is an unadjusted figure, but I think it's still an interesting figure just to get some sense of kind of what uh, the investment level was back in 1995 and what it is today um, and uh, you know, again, there's all sorts of other methodological questions we could talk about. How much does CPI inflation have to do with um, the cost of launching a startup? Um, you know, what about the NASDAQ bubble? Um, you know, of that time and how much that affected valuations, et cetera. But um, the point is, is that you know, the the level of investment in Bitcoin is is quite large, um, historically speaking, and I think does back up the point that Mark Andreessen was making. Um, you know that VCs are really kind of walking the talk here and putting the money where their mouth is. They think Bitcoin, you know, is very much on level with uh, the internet in terms of the size of the opportunity.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's there's no questioning that it is very we have seen a, a lot of a lot of investment, a lot of activity, and, and one thing that really stands out to me at this time, and uh, that wasn't even so aware of. It's just how much investment in Europe has increased, because when you looked at the past reports, it was, it was super low. And sort of my impression, knowing I would say the European Bitcoin scene pretty well, uh, is is that we still do lag massively behind uh, the U.S. in many ways. That you know, there's so many new startups, and and we all there's also a bit of a, at least that's my impression, a, a bit of a disconnect that here. The tech scene and the tech, the startup scene, um, are not as uh, not as enthusiastic about Bitcoin, right? So, uh, like most people, are very skeptical about that. Uh, they and there's a bit of a disconnect. You have the Bitcoin scene and you have the startup scene, but there's no not so much mixing. Uh, and my from talking to people, it seems to be a bit different in in especially in California and Silicon Valley, where. It's sort of common knowledge, that, right? Bitcoin is a big thing, and then people believe it, and, and there's a lot of enthusiasm for doing kind of Bitcoin-related things, and so much more openness for that. I don't know what your impression is there, because uh, you you spend some time in Silicon Valley as well, or
2: yeah, so I split time between California and, and London. So it's interesting. London, though, I think is uh, you know probably you know closer to say California in terms of its outlook on some of these things, or at least the circles I run in in London. Uh, than maybe other parts of of Europe and the continent. Um, But yeah, certainly, I I think, you know, here in California, uh, you know, where, you know, change is very much perceived as this positive thing. And, uh, you know, there's very kind of optimistic, the future is going to get better, and Bitcoin's a part of that, potentially, you know, uh, you know, I I think you're going to have a more receptive, naturally more receptive audience uh, here than, than probably in most anywhere else in the world. Uh, But it is interesting to see, as you say, that that Europe and, the investment level is increasing.
1: I was also curious here. Um, for example, blockchain is that a European company
2: in your? Well, that's that's what I was going to comment on. So one of the things we rely on is is publicly reported information for these reports. Here's a chance for me to actually make an advertisement. Um, these reports can only be as good as the data we have to work with. And so when companies like Blockchain, uh, you know, actually uh, deliberately. Uh, hide where they're domiciled. That's actually a corporate secret. They won't tell you where they're legally uh, incorporated. Uh, was in the UK, but maybe, maybe, maybe they've they've since actually come out with that. But I, you know, talking with their attorney Marco Santori in the past. I mean, they, that's that's a big secret. Actually, or it was. Uh, I, 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 maybe maybe you just revealed it, Brian. I. I, <laughs> but, I uh, but, <laughs> but 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 we have to do things like where's the CEO based? You know, you know, we kind of like work with the data we have to try to make some of these determinations and we always try to do the best job we can. As, as your audience probably knows as well, there's been a lot of VC investment that has not been publicly disclosed, uh, which is not, uh, in the report. Um, and so, you know, the, the real numbers are probably significantly underestimated, um, by some, you know, millions, I don't know what, I, I, I hesitate to actually speculate, on, on what the number is. But but we know that, I know of deals that have been done that are not publicly disclosed and therefore I can't include them, um, you know, in the data. But um, Europe has been gaining traction and that's that's been interesting to see.
0: Yeah. Now, just to kind of wrap up this topic, what I'm worried about, I guess, or you know, concerned about is when we see this 1995 investment and sort of the same growth in, uh, in Bitcoin investment. Now, we all know how that like end of 90s internet ended up. Uh, are, we, you know, are we potentially in the same scenario here with Bitcoin? or Is there a bubble growing?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm an economic historian. Let me, let me just say this. It's a lot easier to, to spot the bubble in retrospect than it is uh, when you're in it. Um, so I'm not going to say whether, say, Bitcoin is in a bubble or, uh, or not. I mean, obviously, there are some things. I, I was in San Francisco in the late 90s, um, you know, working at a tech incubator when all of that, uh, pear shaped, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's things that you see in San Francisco in terms of like real estate, rental prices, um, you know, the comments that people are making about, you know, um, things that actually aren't directly tech related, but are indicative of kind of a frothy market that does give one some reason to be a little concerned about, say tech in general, and, and perhaps Bitcoin, um, you know, as part of that. But, um, you know, you know, if you look at what happened after the internet bubble burst, you know, a lot of great companies came out of that and are still with us today, and they've gone on to be much, you know, worth even more uh, than they were. So, you know, will we see something like that with Bitcoin, where there's a handful of, of survivors, the the big big Amazons, EBay's, et cetera, Googles that come out of it? Um, you know, we might, we might. I mean, one thing we've, we've we've talked about since the beginning of the state of Bitcoin is excuse me, I'm, I'm just recovering from a, a little bit of a cold here, um, that we'd likely see some consolidation. Um, and I think we started to see that a little bit in 2014 in the mining sector uh, with some announced deals. There's been a few other deals. I think one thing we might look to see uh, more consolidation in uh, in 2015 is the exchanges. Uh, I mentioned that, and Coindesk actually wrote an article about that recently. Um, I mean, volumes, trading volumes are up. Um, there's still a lot of volatility with with the price of Bitcoin, traders like volatility, so there's still a lot of reasons for for high transactions. But you know, we saw Volta Satoshi recently decide to kind of close their doors, um, go on and pursue something else. There's been a lot. There's a lot of exchanges out there, um, and and I wouldn't be surprised to see you know some consolidation in that in that space.
0: Well, we'll we'll uh, cover that in just a second. Uh, I want to talk about startups. We've got uh, a lot of topics here as well. Merchants, you know, what's going on with the price, as well as some other topics. But before we do that, we'd like to talk about our sponsor, Shapeshift. If you ever have, if you've ever tried to buy uh, altcoins, you know that uh, it is, uh, it can be complicated. Uh, you have to find a reputable exchange that supports the uh, that supports the, the the altcoins that you want to buy. Uh, you have to create an account there. Potentially, have to give them a bunch of personal information. Uh, place an order. Wait for that order to be fulfilled, and that can be. Annoying, and that can take a long time. I and mean, we kind of expect that when we have Bitcoin, once we're already in the ecosystem, once we've converted our fiat into Bitcoins, that you know, all these transactions should be seamless. Well, that is now the case with uh, with Shapeshift. So Shapeshift is the easiest way to buy and sell altcoins. They support a bunch uh, of altcoins, which I'll list in just a second. But you know, the best way to the best way to illustrate how great uh, Shapeshift is, just to show you how it works, so. Uh, when you go to ShipShift.io, you'll see this. So this is uh, what I like to call um, Google Translate for cryptocurrencies. On one side, you have the currency you want to convert. On the other side, you will have the currency you want to convert to. So uh, Brian, what, what do we got here? We got Bitcoin and Litecoin. Uh, let's buy some Dogecoin. Let's buy some Dogecoin, all right. So what we do is we just uh, type in uh, the, uh, we, we copy our address, and we paste our address into the, into the widget and enter the amount. And here we've got uh, a QR code with a deposit address, which Brian will scan and uh, send his uh, and he just sent some, how much Bitcoin did you send? Uh, I don't remember, a small amount. There you go. So the uh, deposit has received and in just a few seconds, he'll have some Dogecoin in his account. So uh, Shapeshift supports. Uh, bitcoin litecoin PureCoin, darkcoin dogecoin namecoin nxt that's new feathercoin blackcoin bitcoin dark Quart, uh redcoin and nubits and so they're adding new coins all the time like every every week they've got a new uh, a new coin that they've added to their list uh, they just added nxt and who knows they may they may start supporting uh, other altcoins like uh, like gems or or ether or some of these other app coins. So there you go. There it just completed. Uh, I just received some Dogecoin in my wallet. Thanks, Brian. And uh, so that's how easy it is to buy and sell altcoins with Shapeshift. Um, I mean, how how long did that take? Like 20 seconds. It's just amazing, really. No 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 conf- no confirmations required. Uh, so Shapeshift is the fast and easy way to buy and sell altcoins. No accounts needed. Your personal information is secured and it's protected. So head over to shapeshift.io, give it a try, tell us what you think, and we'd like to thank them for the support of Epicenter Bitcoin. So moving on uh, to our next topic, and then you just briefly mentioned it uh, just before we did the ad there, um, you know, consolidation. And this is something that uh, I also, when reading the report thought it would probably, uh, we can expect to happen in the, in the next year. We've seen a lot of growth and investment in financial services, in wallets, uh, also in mining, sort of infrastructure, but not so much in uh, the the universal space. You know, there are many universals. By universals, we mean these these companies that are involved in many aspects of Bitcoin, whether that be uh, buying, and selling, uh, trading, wallets, uh, uh, um, ATMs, etc. We haven't seen so much uh, investment in those. Uh, do you expect that in uh, in 2015, we'll see some of those uh, universals start acquiring these smaller financial services companies, these smaller wallets, and integrating them into their internal their service set?
2: It's a really good question. Um, when would the universals start going on an acquisition spree? Um, I mean, there was, just to speak to the uh, the investment side, there is this rumored <clears throat> 60 or $100 million round that, that Coinbase is uh, currently... Uh, fundraising for um, that hasn't been announced uh, in 2014 uh, you know don't know if that's coming soon or not um, but that that certainly would move the the investment needle for for kind of the universal category um, significantly if that rounds announced anytime soon um, you know it's, it's, uh you know I, I think Bitcoin still can probably generally be described as being in a kind of land grab you know kind of mode in terms of there's a lot of wide open uh, opportunity, I think for a lot of companies to continue, um, say, say building rather than buying. Um, and so, you know, I think we're going to see maybe some consolidation, uh, in, in other areas outside of the exchanges, but, um, it wouldn't surprise me if the universals are still in more of a build mode, um, rather than, than buy. Um, I think they can do a lot, uh, still in terms of building things in-house. Um, but, uh, but we'll see. I mean, it, it's going to depend on the pressures I think that that come to bear on these companies. Um, you know, is Coinbase running into trouble uh, raising that round at a valuation uh, that that they're happy with? Uh, would they be better off with less competition, uh, more consolidation in, in certain areas? And can they? Do they want to pursue something like that? I think we could see you know some of these conversations taking place in 2015 uh, around sub subjects, but I. I'm I'm hesitant to to say oh I, I I think there's gonna be a big merger of some sort between say a, a coinbase and a uh you know a circle or something like this. I, I don't know if that's gonna happen or not. Uh um, my Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's still too early for uh for probably for those types of deals to be taking place. Uh I think both the, all these companies think there's a lot of growth still um and they can do more in house.
1: My impression of these acquisitions is almost more that uh these may be companies that you know sort of failed uh maybe failed to raise money failed to get traction or just didn't see the outlook but had you know good teams with ip etc and then you know they're just sort of taken over and gone i mean i don't think we are at the stage any company i mean okay you could say today maybe uh it could be interesting for a company like PayPal to acquire Coinbase, right? That kind of thing, one could see that maybe someone from outside comes and buys one of the big Bitcoin companies. But uh, within the Bitcoin space, I mean, I I totally agree with you. I don't think we're at the stage where like there's uh, really, it makes sense for anyone to acquire another company. And not least because I think, no company has really also achieved a, a, a lot, very large customer base, right? And, and well,
0: Brian, do- Brian, I'm not sure I agree with you there because, I mean, if you just look at, for example, Coinbase is a uh, acquisition of Blocker, you know, if a company like Coinbase wants to integrate a Block Explorer and you've got this tiny little startup with with, you know, IP and a good team... Uh, and they're acquiring a hundred you know potentially a hundred million dollars in VC money and they can just throw two million dollars to have this, uh, th- th- this this startup integrate with their services why wouldn't it do that so I, I personally I think that in 2015 we're gonna see a lot of these universals start and acquiring these small companies uh, that are that are that are just popping up and uh, you know acquiring their teams uh, acquiring their IP and integrating their services to you know provide more services they are universals so that's what they you know that's their
1: no no I, I agree with you it just seems like it's a it's a really a very minor thing right and it's it's not too different i mean you know you could also say that maybe they i don't know if they even want the ip right maybe they threw it away maybe they just wanted the people and they said ah, oh, we're only going to come if you give us a million for this thing we've been working on for a few right. years
2: and and that's something you see a lot in silicon valley of course and i i agree with sebastian i think these kind of targeted uh, acquisitions will continue to happen they may even accelerate um, you know one of the fascinating things for me at least uh is to see you know forty four we talk about this in the state of bitcoin report you know forty four applications build on top of the coinbase API um, you know i mean that's that's I think a pretty significant development and and um you know that I think to some degree speaks to maybe this kind of consolidation theme we're talking about you know certain apis getting more traction and in uh, companies looking to kind of align or or build around those,
0: well, yeah, let, let's talk about that because I I had uh, I noticed this as, noted this as a topic that I wanted to discuss. So, you know, I I've mentioned before that I think an important uh, component that that needs to start being built is you know APIs. So companies need to start integrating APIs. A lot of them have, and also uh, app coins. Uh, having interoperability between their services. So Coinbase is one example of, uh, you know, having integrated an API and like you said, having about 45 apps built on top of it. Um, I think that this is an important uh, component to building the infrastructure. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, you know, anything that's going to make Bitcoin easier to use. I mean, if you want to, if you have a Coinbase account, um, you know, you, you trust the Coinbase brand, and I'm, and I'm sorry to be giving such a, a lot of free advertising to Coinbase here. I don't have any official relationship with them, just full disclosure, but I'll, I'll use them as an example. You know, you have a Coinbase account. Um, you, you're not sure about the exchanges out there. You're, you're maybe wondering, you know, I see Bitfinex has is, is got the highest volume, but they're not based in the United States. I don't know who these guys are. You know, I want to just kind of keep doing things with Coinbase, but I want to be able to put in, uh, a stop order. You know, I want to be able to buy Bitcoins on the dip. Um, well, now you've got StopCoin, uh, this app that was uh, written, you know, that's on top of the Coindesk API that you can, you can do that. It's all making it much easier for, I think, consumers to, uh, to, you know, do more with Bitcoin and kind of stay within this kind of trusted brand, um, you know, and, 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 and I think that's an important part of making Bitcoin easier, I think, for people to use and, and um, getting it out there to a broader audience.
1: Well, let's move on to to the merchant topic, and and that's uh, I think we can sort of use that also to circle back uh, or in in a bit. I think well, let's put it like this. I think we can put sort of merchant and consumer adoption uh, together under the, the uh, umbrella like adoption. You know, to what extent is Bitcoin seeing traction as as a means of payment, as a payment network, and and as a currency as money, right? So. Because, of mm-hmm. course, we, we do know there is traction in terms of people building startups. Now, whatever they're focusing on, some are very closely dependent on uh, the currency, the money, right? Some maybe not. Be. Um, but I think the one place where we really sort of see and I think it's a great measurement of, of the health of Bitcoin and, and the development is, you know, how many merchants are there? How much mm-hmm. volume are they doing? Uh, and, you know, how many wall, you know, how many users are there, right? And and as well, I think on the user side, uh, how much activity are they actually doing? Because, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's one thing to have a Bitcoin wallet and it's another thing to actually use Bitcoin sort of integrate in your life and, and pay things with it. and.
2: Yeah. Um, well, well, merchant adoption is something that, you know, I, I think you could, this is kind of, again, staying with our tale of two Bitcoins theme. Uh, we, could, we could say, you know, in 2014, there was a lot of really incredibly positive news on the merchant adoption front. I mean, getting companies like Microsoft, Dell, you know, et cetera, I think we all know the, the big brand names that have come on board and, and chosen to start accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment. Um, $180 billion these companies, just the top ten, you know, are close to 180 billion in total revenue. And these companies, the other, the other thing that's really important, I think, to know about this uh, development is that these companies are very brand conscious. They're very reputation conscious. And you know, a lot of people have claimed that say bit, the Bitcoin brand has is, is been dealt a mortal blow with all this fraud and the Mt. Gox failure, et cetera. Um, you know, the arrests. Um, but that's clearly you know, not stop a company like Microsoft or others that are very reputation conscious from coming out and embracing Bitcoin. And that's a really important development. I think that says a lot about uh, Bitcoin's future and 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 how these companies see the, uh, you know, the innovative aspect of the technology. Um, having said that, um, our Bitcoin uh, accepting merchant forecast for 2014 came in short of what we originally were forecasting. We, we originally came out uh, six months ago with a, a forecast of about 100,000 Bitcoin-accepting merchants by the end of 2014. We cut that last quarter to 90,000. And, you know, we only have BitPay and Coinbase's most recently updated numbers to work with, but it's not looking like we even got to 90,000, uh, you know, here uh, by the end of 2014. So I think the number of merchants came in below uh, what we were kind of forecasting originally. Of and, course, and, and we, oh, there, no,
1: these are not including merchants that um, accept Bitcoin without using a payment processor, right?
2: Exactly, and so so probably the the real number is again significantly north of that. But we we don't really have a great way of uh, you know at you know aggregating up that data. We've tried through you know sites like Coinmap to kind of untangle you know who's processing uh, you know. Payments on their own versus doing it through a BitPay or Coinbase. Unfortunately, BitPay and Coinbase don't um, publicly disclose their full uh, list of merchants for competitive reasons, I believe. Um, but but we know that there's probably more than obviously the numbers we're showing who are accepting. But but just based on those two companies' kind of reported figures, it looks like growth yeah. has slowed. Basically, is the point I was trying to make um, here towards the end of the year. And we also saw you know Overstock.com announcing that they're they're sales forecast came in below what they were originally hoping. So I, I don't think this is too surprising, though. And I, I, think, um, I think if the Bitcoin community was uh, putting a lot of hope in um, faster kind of merchant adoption and more traction in commerce, I think that may have been a little bit misguided, to be completely uh, frank about it. Uh, you know, as, a, as someone who, you know, works in the economics space, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in kind of cold, hard economic logic, driving adoption. Um, And when I look at, you know, the merchant side of things and and why I would want to go to a pub and pay for a pint with Bitcoin, um, you know, at least in the West, uh, advanced countries, which have, for all their warts and all, you know, financial systems and currencies that are relatively stable and work, you know, reasonably well, um, it just doesn't make as much sense to me to want to use Bitcoin for that versus, say, something like international remittances where you know if I'm in Kenya and I'm looking at a 12 percent or more you know transaction fee and the money's got to go through three banks to get to me and take three takes three days. I mean that to me is again cold hard economic logic. Good reason to use Bitcoin much more so than say going uh, and paying for my burrito at a you know a food stand with with Bitcoin. Um, and so I, I think maybe there's been a little too much emphasis or optimism around merchant adoption at this stage. I think. Something like Apple Pay, you know, you know, just to make a comparison, um, which, which hasn't, by the way, people should know this, has not uh, signed up nearly as many merchants as Bitcoin uh, has. Uh, just, they've got obviously some big names and you can buy a lot of stuff at those big names with Apple Pay. Um, but Apple Pay does, you know, offer something that's compelling in some ways. I don't like having to haul my credit card around with me all the time. I can just bring my phone and pay. Um, You know, that's that's making more cold, hard economic logic sense to me uh, than, than, say, doing a a merchant transaction with Bitcoin at
1: this point. Yeah, but I I think um, you're pointing on something interesting here and. And I think there, there is a, there's a sort of discrepancy when you look at incentives between the, the consumer and the merchant, right? For the merchant, I think uh, mm-hmm. actually Bitcoin is a great argument. Like this makes so mm-hmm. much sense for merchants to say like, yeah, I want to take Bitcoin, right? Because I mean, saving 2%, I mean, I, we've, we've mentioned this uh, example a few times. I think Overstock is the best example uh, because they are in a, such a low margin business. And I think they, uh, you know, because they're a publicly traded company, the profit margin is like two percent. And now, if they pay, I don't know, two percent for credit card fees, uh, versus Bitcoin, which is basically free. Uh, you know, that's an excellent argument. Like the, I and I think that's why we have seen. I would still say the emergent adoption has been, you know, pretty good. And especially if you look at the big companies, uh, personally, that surprised me. I did not. I I always thought that it was going to be a different way, right? Like that there would be a more wider adoption and then the, these companies would come. But uh, it's been the other way around, right? They, they were first to come and we haven't seen that wider adoption, right? Because um, on the consumer side, I think that's uh, that's much weaker actually than the merchant side even, it seems to me. Yes.
2: I, I think, Brian, you make an excellent point and I, I agree with everything you just said there. Great point.
0: My, my experience when talking to merchants and all the, all the you know, perhaps not large merchants but you know smaller merchants like bars and restaurants and things like that and when I talk to them about Bitcoin they uh, the reaction is like who's gonna use it I mean um, you know <laughs> and, and and I'm not talking you know and I'm talking about you know people that are like you know young uh, you know young people and people that are maybe like you know interested in the internet and like you know kind of hip with this kind of thing Uh the overall reaction that I've gotten uh, when, when talking to people around around town here is like who's going to like it just seems
1: like a hassle for me to start accepting this other currency. Uh, one should put like some, uh, you know, um, caveat here. So for merchants, this is a great, uh, a great sell, very easy to sell, I think. <laughs> as long as there are people actually using it, right? But you, you need some people using it. I mean, I, I don't know where the barrier is. I guess the larger the company is, the, the smaller the percentage can be. And maybe for a, co- a large company, they can say, oh, if only 1% of the people pay in Bitcoin, it makes economic sense for me. Um, whereas for bar, maybe it will be lower whatever. But of course, there has to be a certain number of people using it. And uh, we'll probably not even have enough of that. I mean, Garrett, do you know are there any do we have any data on that on the uh, the volume these people are seeing because
2: yeah unfortunately you know Bitpay and, and coinbase have uh, you know who who obviously have the data um, they've been reluctant to want to be very open with with that data and again I'll, I'll make another plea to, to the powers that be at these companies to be you know within reason I mean obviously you're in a competitive space and you you want to protect things that you think uh, your competitors can use against you but at the same time I think the more open the ecosystem can be um, on, on, you know, with the data, then the, the more we can explain, I think, to the broader public how Bitcoin is being used. And, and so and, But unfortunately, long story short, we don't have as much data here as we'd like on use and velocity and any of these things.
1: Do you think there's a possibility that they are not sharing that data because it's so bad? Um, I mean, you know, obviously companies want to try to put a,
2: a, a positive spin on things, um, you know, and keep, you know, uh, people's, you know, um, expectations, you know, kind of moving in the right direction. So uh, I, I I don't have any reason to suspect that the, the numbers that they are reporting in terms of number of merchants that are accepting it, et cetera, are, are being, you know, inflated or. No, no, or, I don't or, believe that, that, right? Yeah. Right.
1: Uh, I'm right. sure those are accurate, but uh, of course the question is maybe I misremember yeah. this, but didn't BitPay last year publish how much volume they did, like also yeah. in terms of transactions for Black Friday? And this year they said, oh, uh, this many merchant did transactions, that number was higher, but they didn't say how much what money was actually spent. Uh, and then and it was like, well, why wouldn't they say that? I mean, the only reason I can think of is that it was it was worse than last year, right so well
2: know. yeah I, I, I wasn't going to yeah I think, I think you're you're barking up the right tree here and and uh, you know companies will be quiet private com- as is a publicly traded company doesn't have the luxury of, of kind of only revealing the positive data they've got to come clean and, and talk about stuff in a more open fr- you know framework than Bitpay does but um, yeah I, I think you're you're probably on the right track with your theory there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: One interesting—I uh, I just want to point out this slide here. So apparently, people buy trash bags and in instant formula with Bitcoin.
2: Is that <laughs> accurate? Well, this data is from Purse, uh, Purse.io, which I don't know if you've talked about on your show in the past or not. But, no, uh, but which
0: which we use quite extensively to buy like all our gear.
2: Yeah, no, it's an amazing, uh, amazing, amazing service, and uh, and. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about reasons to use Bitcoin, um, a lot of people shop at Amazon. Again, I'm gonna, I guess, make another free free advertisement here for another Bitcoin company. But um, you know, Purse is not the only company to do this. Uh, Broker, uh, which CoinDesk recently wrote a a review of uh, French company, by the way. French company. I yeah, think. Interesting. Um, I
0: believe I so. uh, I might be I, I may be wrong about that. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I think I met the guys at the Digital BitCoin. Well,
2: they both these companies offer uh, you the option of kind of uh, trying to buy something brought in Brocker's case anywhere on the internet. Um, and, and then, you know, getting up to a 20% discount, uh, on that, um, for, for your Bitcoins. Um, so someone who wants to, they, they serve as a middleman and, and, uh, you know, these are, again, thinking about the cold, hard economic logic. These are reasons to actually want to use Bitcoin. Um, you know, like I, I know there's some questions around, uh, you know, who's on the other side of these transactions and, um, you know, Purse recently came out with an announcement that one of their uh, customers had, had had his house searched in Germany, I believe, um, uh, for a transaction done through Purse. Uh, you know, stolen credit cards are always a concern. You know, always check the local leg- regulations and wherever you are. Uh, you know, to make sure. I think you're,
0: that was I think that was Brocker, actually.
2: Uh, no, Purse, uh, I they 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 yeah they announced a, an email yeah they've come out with a new program to. Uh, protect actually users of their site with $10,000, I think, uh, in, in response to this uh, this search. But, um, but again, I mean, you know, I, I think if you want I to, think, I think Brian, you hit the nail on the head. Merchants have great reasons to start adopting Bitcoin. Consumers need better ones. Discounts, uh, you know, putting money back in the pockets of consumers uh, because they're saving uh, merchants money on transaction fees. That's something we need to see merchants doing more of. You know, consumers respond to things like frequent flyer mile credit cards, uh, you know, or saving even a percent or two on a large transaction can make a big difference. Um, You know, and it's got to be easy. It's got to be, you know, I've talked about this from the beginning. You know, if I went to Amazon's website and there were two prices on a large ticket item, uh, one I could pay with with my credit card on file, or the other I could save a couple percent um, by just clicking this box you know, clicking this button, clicking a box, and accept certain terms, and a lot of the complexity of Bitcoin is just done on the back end and is invisible to the end user. You know, I think that's where you'd start to see um, more consumer use of Bitcoin. It's just got to be really push the button, simple, and there's got to be a good cold, hard economic reason. I think to to do it from the consumer's perspective.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is being, you know, th- there are a lot of things, different things happening in different contexts. And sometimes we do have these incentives and sometimes we don't. And, and overall, largely, uh, we don't enough in the West, right, to use Bitcoin. Uh, unless, I mean, I think the one exception is uh, for, for speculative purposes, right? Like if you believe in the potential, then, then that is a, a great um, a great reason to buy Bitcoin. And I think that's why we are seeing most of the, most of the people buying bitcoin today i mean it's speculation it's not yeah, it makes very little sense to buy bitcoin to spend bitcoin but maybe that can change right i mean i think in the us already if you have circle or disconnected of your bank account maybe you could have an automatic buying when you purchase something with bitcoin uh, i think then you can start slowly getting into the direction where maybe people have enough incentive uh, but I don't know. It, it, the progress seems very slow in this area and it is uh, worrying to, to an extent, right because um, and, and maybe that's maybe that's a good point to sort of bring up my point that I kind of wanted to allude to earlier. Um, when we look at the, the numbers you guys have, have there for wallets and for merchants and and you also project it out right to the la- to the end of next year. Uh, you're sort of projecting this linear growth, and to me it seems, if this is true, and you, you know, even if we do see that growth rate, right? Like let's say it doesn't get even worse than this, but we soon we do see that growth rate, uh, it seems very plausible to me that will be actually this will be really really bad for Bitcoin, that this could be a, a terrible situation. Uh, and, and the reason why is that I think when VCs and, and companies invest today in Bitcoin and uh, people start projects, people build products, they build it for uh, under the assumption that we'll be uh, reaching a mass adoption, right? So, I mean, I think you know, that comparison with the internet is the b- best example for that, right? That, and I think the reason why a lot of VCs invest in that and are excited about that Is because exactly as you pointed out, they see it sort of as something that could be as big as the internet. So if you see this linear growth, then that that is not going to get us there anytime soon, right? And we have a lot of investment in 2014. And of course, with VC investments, they don't get uh, uh, that much money, right? So they get usually enough money for a year, a year and a half, let's say, uh, to keep on building and then they either have enough revenues or they have to raise more money in the general of course in the sort of startup world they, they're going to raise more money then so just if you if you look at all this investment that's come right if you calculate that out it means they will have to go back to raise more money uh, probably late 2015 or early 2016 many of these companies and uh, my sort of fear is that if we do see those growth rates that uh, you guys are projecting, they will have a very difficult time raising money, right? So I think it has to be better than that, you know.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting point you raise. I mean, uh, you know, Mary Meeker, who you know, writes the Internet Trends Reports for Kleiner Perkins now, uh, formerly at Morgan Stanley, um, you know, she, she had a Bitcoin slide in her Internet Trends report from last year, and, and she remarked on how anything that grows as quickly as Bitcoin has you know, from zero to, you know, north of 5 million or so wallets, I think at that time, uh, you know, is something that gets on her radar screen as, as you know, something that's interesting. Um, so, but you do make a, a really good point. Okay, so Bitcoin's, you know, achieved this miraculous thing. I mean, alternative currencies aren't supposed to work if we, we look at history and it's already gotten, you know, millions of people using it, uh, a global brand. But how does it go from that 5 million level or so to 50 million, um, to 100 million users, that it really needs to kind of stay with this kind of you know growth uh, comparison to the internet, and and that's a that's a that's a really really good question. Um, I think the industry needs to kind of really think hard about where they're putting their emphasis uh, on, say, advanced countries, on the West, if that's in fact really what's going on, um, you know. I'm much more optimistic about Bitcoin's prospects in places that have very poorly performing currencies that have uh, you know um, a track record of, of using alternative money um, you know, that have systems like M-Pesa you know, in Kenya already kind of in place that Bitcoin can integrate with. Um, I'll give a plug for another company, Bit BitPesa um, you know, is working very hard on, on the remittances industry in Kenya um, you know, and, and integrating with M-Pesa. But how do they and how do other companies like them kind of really get that critical mass that you need to kind of make Bitcoin um, the preferred way of sending money to Kenya? Do, do they need to link up more with ATM uh, firms? Do you need to really scatterbomb ATMs across Kenya or in a particular district in, in London to, to link with, with Kenya? Um, you know, I, I think... You know, maybe there's been a little bit too much focus on trying to get people to use Bitcoin in places that really don't have great reasons to use Bitcoin, or as much great reasons as as other parts of the world, and and that's partly why I put together um, this piece of research called the Bitcoin Market Potential Index, which we can you, you're we can talk introducing about your maybe. own topic. I, we were going to interrupt
1: <laughs> you now and say, like, well, I think this is a great moment to move on to your uh, Bitcoin Market Potential Index, but you've done it yourself, so. Um, well, I, I, I'm looking at the clock and I know we're,
2: we're getting a little, uh, <laughs> we're running out of time. So I wanted to make sure I, I plug my own research uh, as well as uh, every other Bitcoin company. But uh, um, So I, I've got a paper that I've, I've, uh, that's, that's going to be presented uh, at the PDP Financial Systems Conference at the Bundesbank. The first, I think, Bitcoin-related conference taking place inside a major central bank or any central bank possibly, um, as well as at the second Bitcoin Research Workshop in Puerto Rico uh, here at the end of January, and this paper, which I wrote about on Coindesk when I first developed the first iteration of the index in July, uh, tried to think about, you know, what are the reasons for why Bitcoin might gain adoption and which countries around the world uh, are more attractive uh, or more fertile ground, if you will, for Bitcoin than others. Uh, and Argentina topped the list. Uh, the things that are driving the index are things like inflation, as well as a history of financial crises. Size size of the international remittances market, size of the black market, level of technology penetration. Bitcoin obviously needs technology to thrive, uh, and, uh, and 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 some other things. And and Argentina was number one, Venezuela number two. Um, interestingly, when you add in uh, the uh, the uh, the the size of the remittance fee, the average fee that people are paying, um, sub-Saharan Africa starts to look like a really attractive region uh, for Bitcoin as does Latin America, as does many of the post Soviet, uh, countries. Um, so, so those are the areas that, that at least according to the index that I've developed, which again, I would, I would qualify and say is, you know, uh, you know, an interesting conceptual piece of research, but I, I, I wouldn't want people to hang too much, uh, uh, you know, on the results of the index yet. I think it's still a work in progress, but it is interesting that these regions, um, are, are popping up as the places where Bitcoin I think could be more useful than other regions.
1: And I think the industry might want to think more about that and how they can target those regions more. Do you take into account also the, the regulatory environment? Because I, I think exactly the countries you named, uh, for example, Argentina and Venezuela, I uh, personally like if I was building, I would never build a I would not build a Bitcoin exchange in Argentina. Like even, even if you're right, right, and there is a lot of potential and reception there, uh, it just seems to be almost guaranteed that the government, as soon as it gets traction, was going to step in and just shut it down, uh, confiscate it, uh, put you in jail or deport you or whatever. So, uh, so th- did you, uh, I mean, I presume it also, it's also a very difficult variable to include in the research, right? Because how do you quantify that?
2: Right. No, I, I talk about this in the uh, both in the article and in the uh, the, the paper, um, which should be posted soon, by the way, on the uh, the second Bitcoin Research Workshop website. If you're interested in reading it, um, so regula- regulation uh, was excluded specifically for now for a couple reasons. One is uh, the data on regulation, I think, is very much well. It's it's, it's we don't have a lot of data yet. Further, we 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 regulation is something that's still very much evolving, um, and and this builds on the data point I just mentioned. In other words, we know China, for example, was was cracking down on Bitcoin, um, you know, earlier this year uh, with the announcement that banks, you know, shouldn't be using or interacting with Bitcoin companies. Um, but China has continued to be, uh, you know, by far and away the, the place where we see more Bitcoin exchange volume, uh, you know, than any other place. So what is the impact of regulation? Uh, We don't really know that. It's very hard to kind of think about how to score that variable in this index at this point. uh, Because in some ways, like you say, regulation could be the end of Bitcoin in, say, a country like Venezuela, which has maybe an effective regulatory regime. Uh, On the other hand, a regulatory crackdown could also be a signal from a country that Bitcoin stands actually a better chance there of gaining adoption And therefore, you know, that country should move up the rankings because they have a hostile regulatory environment. So in some ways, we need to have a better sense of how effective regulation is um, and and also what it really means. Um, Because regulation, uh, you know, may actually be a positive thing um, in terms of a country's, you know, adoption prospects.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to that uh, report. And perhaps we can have you back on at that time to, uh, to talk about it. When is it coming out?
2: Uh, so there, the conference is taking place here at the end of January, and they should be publishing the, the papers on their website um, soon. This is a part of the Financial Cryptography 2015 conference. This is the second Bitcoin research workshop associated with that. Gavin Andreessen is going to be there. Uh, the Bitcoin Foundation sponsors it, um, and other academics who are doing work on Bitcoin. Um, so it, it should be a great event.
0: Cool. And so we'll add the, uh, th- this article you spoke of. Uh, we'll uh, add that link to the show notes as well. So we've kind of come around full circle here. Um, now, the report also makes some, uh, some. it kind of looks forward to 2015. and you know, just Before we wrap up, we'd like to sort of talk about some of the things that we can look forward to in the next year. Uh, what are the most interesting areas? Uh, what are the areas that you most uh, find interesting for 2015?
2: Well, uh, I think, you know, obviously price is going to continue to, I think, be something that people are focused on. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, that's the question that often comes up. I think, you know, even inside the the ecosystem, you know, we look at like, for example, the stories at CoinDesk that, that get a lot of traction. I mean, the price stories oftentimes get, you know, the, the, the most interest. Uh, there's still a huge, huge interest in what's going on with Bitcoin's price and, um, You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2015 with the price. I mean, as you know, the audience I'm sure knows, uh, you know, the the blockchain, you know, new uh, reward for, for, uh, you know, solving blocks is not going to have until 2016. So this nearly 4,000 Bitcoins per day of new supply that's, you know, being mined into existence, there's there's no letting up from that pressure on the price uh, until 2016. And so unless something fundamentally shifts uh, with the Bitcoin economy where remittances start getting more traction or something, you know, more speculators come in, um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, price pressure still on, on Bitcoin. Having said that, um, I am certainly a lot less comfortable uh, you know, recommending that people short Bitcoin uh, than I was a year ago when I was recommending that people do that. Um,
1: Wait, I, I think, to do what? To...
2: To short the price of Bitcoin, I, I I was comfortable telling people to short Bitcoin at the beginning of 2014. I'm I'm a lot less comfortable uh, saying that now. I I think the 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 bear case is still pretty strong for Bitcoin's price as we go into 2015. But I, I certainly um, feel like a lot of the you know with a 67 percent decline, I think the price has taken a pretty big hit, and I'm I'm not I I don't know how much further it would fall. I I just I don't know, but price is going to be, I think, still a it big It seems to me, so
1: my view on this is it can't really fall. It doesn't make sense for it to fall much further because, you know, to a large extent, like if you look at all this VC investment, I mean, I think to a large extent, you still can say that um, there's an extreme correlation between the success of these companies and the success of, of Bitcoin, the currency. And maybe that's going to change at some point. But I think at this stage, yeah, that's still the case. So, um, you know, for that to be true, it's just at some point, right, you have to say, like, it's a better a better choice. At some price, you have to say it's a better choice to buy Bitcoins than to buy uh, shares and invest in some companies. So there's a, a disbalance there, I think. Well, it's it's yeah, it's
2: hard to know what's going on also in the minds of some of the players who, who hold a lot of Bitcoins who are maybe you're looking at this from a lower long-term perspective. I mean, think about what's going on with Saudi Arabia right now and the price of oil, you know, and and the Saudis really trying to drive out a lot of the high-cost producers from the market. Um, You know, I mean, would that strategy make sense for certain, say, players in the mining industry to want to consolidate, uh, you know, push out some of the higher cost or, you know, players with, you know, don't have as deep pockets uh, you know in the interest in reducing competition and block difficulty and, and the pressure to say upgrade hardware you know on this you know regular basis I mean I don't know um, but but I, I would caution people uh, to, to be aware that I think the price of Bitcoin could fall uh, quite a bit more um, I think that's not an impossible thing by any means
0: Brian I wanted to ask you what are the areas that you're most uh, interested in for the next year
1: you know, there, it's a hard question because I think there's, on the one hand, there's a sort of side you, I want to yeah, how does the space develop? Well, what's the technology? I mean, I think I'm I have, I have been getting a better sense of some of the <coughs> economics and maybe the problems of proof of work, and, and those kind of things are very interesting, but I think when it comes to when it comes to the sort of adoption. Uh, that's, that's another area that I think is very interesting. And I also want to mention sort of the, the, the counter case uh, to what you just mentioned, Garrick, that, I mean, of course it's very possible. The price is going to decrease further and m- maybe much further. Uh, it certainly can not be excluded. Um, but I also see um, a very significant uh, a chance of uh, the opposite happening uh, i see a, a very significant chance of the price going up dramatically and uh, i think the way the way i could see this happening is if it if there is an increasing number of financial institutions hedge funds etc who are starting to take maybe small, small positions in this just because they say well maybe it works and then we make a ton of money or if it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's like half a percent of our portfolio or something because um, uh, I think for uh, for a lot of investors, this is just a, a, a gamble you want to take, right? Even if you say, like, that there's an 80% chance this is not going to work, but a 20% chance that it is going to work and a 5% chance that it is going to be huge, then this is just, I think, something that... Uh, uh, this is a investment that you have to make. And I think that understanding is there to an extent and and you know we had uh daniel Gallancy on from SolidX and and who are trying to actually help sort of financial institution hedge funds to to be able to do that because it's it's complicated because their systems aren't built for that their compliance isn't built for that uh like it's something different right so i think a bitcoin etf would be a big thing but i think if that happens you know it doesn't take very much right For, for for if a if some funds, a few of them put in 10 million there, 10 million here, this is a lot for Bitcoin and it's not very much for them. So I think very, brief, very quickly, you can see the price going up. And then of course the the whole thing with Bitcoin is that it has this sort of, you know, self-perpetuating thing, right? If people get excited about it, they think like, oh, now I need to buy two, too. And then it keeps going up. And so it has this self-fulfilling effect. Of course, it, to some extent also on the downside, um, so I, I, I attribute um, a fairly significant probability to that kind of thing happening. But uh, to be quite honest, I, I thought this was going to happen this year already at the beginning of the year, and it hasn't. So uh, maybe I'm going to be wrong again.
2: Well, yeah, I, I don't want to sound too bearish. I mean, I, I think Bitcoin's got tremendous potential. I think what's going on with New York and, and uh, you know, getting some clarity around that is helpful, I think there's a lot of reasons that Bitcoin could perform spectacularly well price wise. Um, but it's just important that people be aware of this kind of steady increase of supply and the effect that that can have. And, um, you know, so yeah, good, good, good points, Brian.
1: What about you, Sebastian?
0: Well, I mean, uh, I, I mentioned this in one of our recent episodes. I mean, what I'm really looking forward to is the growth of dApps uh, and specifically app points, So, you know, I'm, I installed GEMS. I've been telling all my friends to get it and I've been using it to, to talk to my family, for example. So, you know, uh, getting uh, dApps in front of regular consumers, so seeing more dApps in app stores, for example, uh, I think is uh, is an interesting thing to look forward to and just generally improve customer experience. Um, so, uh, you know, getting people to be able to use cryptocurrency, and, you know, through simple applications um, and, uh, and and securely. So, you know, one thing we mentioned earlier was, uh, you know, Universal's kind of growing their feature sets. I think that uh, that will greatly help adoption. So once you've got a company that you, know, you can install their wallet and you've got access to uh, or install their app rather and you've got access to this wealth of services that allows you to do just about anything and then you've got like merchant adoption pl- mer- merchant uh, adoption plugged into that as well uh, or merchant services rather um, I think that, that will, will help adoption in a way and I'm, I'm really looking forward to you know, seeing what are some of the new and interesting ways that, um, that companies in the Bitcoin space can innovate in terms of UX and UX security and all that in the next, in the next year.
1: And I think an interesting thing about uh, what you're mentioning, the whole DApps space, is that that's also a space that can sort of succeed independently of Bitcoin, right? I mean, I think it's, uh, it's right. totally possible yeah. that we will, yeah, Bitcoin price can do terribly, but the, they may still uh, do very well. And then I think there we may also see that kind of mainstream adoption coming then, right? Because you could see like something like gems could have totally mainstream appeal, uh, and also the people who don't uh, use Bitcoin, but just see this as some sort of cool, like points that are fun, like people like getting points when they play games, right? Um, so so that, I, I agree. I think that's going to be a very, very interesting area to watch and, and hopefully we'll see some, some good things happening there. But um, yeah, I think we're at the end of our show. So thanks so much for coming on, Garrett. It was very interesting. Uh, it was an interesting reading report, and uh, it was especially interesting talking with you about it and talking a bit about uh, Bitcoin and where we're at. It was a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And do
0: come back on when the when the Q two uh, or sorry the Q one two thousand fifteen uh, report comes. Yeah, on.
1: yeah, yeah. We can uh, come back in a few months and uh, see uh, how right or wrong we've been. Always a fun thing to do. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, our show notes will have a link to, uh, the report and, um, we can all, we'll also link to, I think maybe Gary's website where people can have a look at, uh, his, his research. Um, and of course, you know, you can also find a report on CoinDesk. Uh, if you, we will be back in a week from now and we're going to have a, an episode, uh, with uh, Preston Byrne and uh, Sean Jones and it's going to be on um, on the, the startup that Preston is working on which is a very interesting uh, DAC related uh, thing and uh, you know if you, you, you want to support us you can uh, subscribe to us on YouTube so you, you get updated for the next shows, next hangouts. And uh, please leave us a review on iTunes because that helps new people find the show. And uh, we tremendously appreciate that. So thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back next week.